Psalm 63. O God, you are my God, eagerly I seek you. My soul is a thirst for you. My flesh also faints for you, as in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So would I gaze upon you in your holy place, that I might behold your power and your glory. I will bless you as long as I live and lift up my hands in your name. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, My soul clings to you. Your right hand shall hold me fast. To you we come, radiant Lord, the goal of all our desiring, beyond all earthly beauty, gentle protector, strong deliverer. In the night you are our confidence. From first light be our joy, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. The epistle is written in the 10th chapter of the first book of Corinthians, beginning at the first verse. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all drank the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Here endeth the epistle. The Holy Gospel is written in the 13th chapter 
of the Gospel according to St. Luke, beginning at the first verse. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do not think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died under the tower of Siloam when it fell on them, Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig round it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Grant, Lord, that we may hear your word addressing us as we open your written word. May we meet you, the living word, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You heard the news this week, didn't you, of the building which collapsed and of those who were killed and injured and bereaved as a result. We spend our time, don't we, keeping up to date with the news and passing comment to each other about it very often. And the people of Jesus' day were no different. They kept up with the news and in Jesus' day... Siloam's tower fell, verse 4, in our day, the power station at Didcot. For Pontius Pilate, in verse 1 of our reading, someone who abused his authority, um, who would you choose? Putin? Uh, Assad? Mugabe? Uh, Donald Trump? We're talking about news. And people came to Jesus with their assessment of the news and his response was instructive. He didn't go along with them totally, but he responds with good news of his own. Or to be more precise, first bad news and then good news in our gospel reading. He says that all of us at different times are led astray to be and to do things which are not right. We may point the finger at others, but of course the fingers point back at us. Therefore we need at many times to repent and to return to our Lord 
And part of our Christian worship is to do just that. But the good news, wonder of wonders, is that when we do turn, we find our Lord who provides opportunities and resources and an open door to welcome us home and to give us the grace of repentance. So the first lesson this morning is one of thoroughly positive good news. Even if you feel rather like that um, fruitless fig tree growing wild amidst the vineyard in Jesus' parable, in a rather insignificant corner of God's vineyard, there's hope for you. The climax of the gospel is clear that God provides a disturbing forking over of the ground, but also a flavoursome dose of manure to help us become fruitful again in God's service. There's a similar Lenten encouragement in the epistle. In fact, it stands out really as the climax of that reading from 1 Corinthians uh, 10, as though Paul is saying to us, to be human is to be tempted, to be God is to remain faithful. And he quotes from the history of God's people, And that despite times of failure and fruitlessness and failure, God himself remains faithful. See verse 13 again. Hear these words. No temptation has seized you except what is common. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. He has previously talked about four ways in which we can be tempted and fail. He gives us, as it were, a checklist to examine ourselves. Idolatry that puts some lesser being in God's place in our lives. Immorality that does not echo the faithfulness of God in our own relationships. A spirituality that is self-centered rather than God-centered. And speech which fails to remember God's generosity and uh, replaces that with grumbling. I wonder how you do in that uh, list, that checklist. Paul then challenges his readers by saying to them, you're baptized into Christ, are you not? You've come here today to celebrate at the Lord's table, have you not? But verse 12, you have to take care. If you think you stand firm, be careful that you don't fall. Temptation is common to us all. But if you do fall, remember this wonderful encouragement. God is faithful. He's actively involved in your life, St. Paul says. He's aware of your limitations. He's actively providing a way out of temptation's trap so that you can stand up under the pressure. I was reminded of the gospel reading from two weeks ago, the story of Jesus being tempted when the Holy Spirit drove him into the wilderness to be tempted. He was driven to be tempted so that he might draw closer to his father. 
the devil tried to use the temptation to drive a wedge between father and son. But the Holy Spirit is trying to draw father and son ever closer together. And what he did for Jesus, the Holy Spirit longs to do for us as he was also doing in Corinth. And so as we come to worship today, we pray for the help of the Holy Spirit to keep God at the center of our lives and worship well, to turn our back on immorality and behave in a way that honors God, to learn to follow the way of the cross, as the collect says, and not be self-centered, and to use those wonderful words that we have in conversation with each other to build up and not to destroy, to give gratitude to God and to each other and not to grumble. I wonder if that's what you want as you come at the beginning of a new week to our Lord at his table. There's a story told about the 13th century uh, philosopher, theologian, Thomas Aquinas. As a young boy, he is supposed to have gone along to a local monastery and knocked on the door one day. And when the door was opened, he is supposed to have said, I want God. Do you? And what would it look like if you did? The psalm that we had began with that wonderful expression of longing for God. You are my God, eagerly I seek you. My soul is a thirst for you, my, my flesh faints for you. Eagerly longing for God. And I wonder therefore if we should think of Lent and this Sunday as being a time for the re-education of our desires. To put into our hearts a longing for that which God longs to give, which at the end of a day is himself. So that when we receive Christ in word and sacrament at this service, the Spirit is digging around and fertilizing the roots of our faith. And we can respond, yes, Lord, please. Or the Holy Spirit's providing resources for us this week to resist temptation so that when we're aware, or perhaps not yet aware, of the challenge, we can reach out with an empty hand and receive the gift of God's help. And all the way through, the Spirit drawing us ever closer to the Father and the Son. To which we say, Lord, thank you. Verse 9 of the psalm, the end of this selection, is a wonderful expression of unity of purpose and unity of desire between ourselves and our Lord. My soul clings to you. Your right hand shall hold me fast. Or to quote from Eugene Peterson's The Message, I hold on to you for dear life. You hold me steady as a post. There's a sense of connectedness there, which is a wonderful aim and a wonderful thing to pray for and look for. So I commend this psalm to you, Psalm 63. It reminds us about how in worship our desires are refocused and maybe with Roger here this morning for whom we thank God is a way of saying to us, yes, our worship really matters 
as a way of re-educating our desire for God, that our lives may live that out well. So if you're thirsty, verses 1 and 2, there's so much more to see and discover. Verses 3, 4 and 5 of the psalm. If unfortunately, or perhaps fortunately, you're awake sometimes at night, verse 7, there are numerous resources to dwell upon in your memory of God's goodness and many aspects of God's provision to remember, verses 7 and 8. Again, to quote Peterson, If I'm sleepless at midnight, I spend hours in grateful reflection because you've always stood up for me. Indeed, God is faithful. After communion today, look out for the prayer of ablation, as we call it. We use it after we've received communion, and it includes the phrase, accept our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. We offer ourselves to God in praise and thanksgiving for his offering of himself for us. This year's Archbishop of Canterbury's Lent book includes the phrase, our praises and thanksgivings do more than just cheer our hearts, they enthrone God. Quoting Psalm 22 verse 3, you are the Holy One of Israel, enthroned on the praises of Israel. So as we reflect on God today, as we ponder his generosity, as we thank him for his faithfulness, as we are aware that he knows us and is at work in our lives, let's offer ourselves again to his service, confident that he will provide us with the resources we need for a new week that lies ahead of us.